please turn with me in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we'll begin there and we'll be looking at a number of passages this morning as we continue to walk our way through the Beatitudes. Um, the scene is on the hillside looking over the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has gathered his disciples, Big D. Disciples, Little D, have gathered as well and some other people as well. And Jesus is... Um, giving him the foundational teachings of, of Christ. And so the Beatitudes really introduce that teaching. They're the introduction to the sermon. We could call them the gospel according to Jesus, uh, I believe. They are the descriptive characteristics of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, they summarize everything it means to be a citizen of that kingdom. They are, they are polar opposites of what it means to be a citizen of the world. This is a counter-cultural kingdom that Jesus is describing here. And today we come to Beatitude number seven. Um, of the eight, some say nine, that number eight is kind of split in two. Blessed is there nine times, but uh, we're at uh, number seven today in uh, verse nine. Of Romans, uh, uh, of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 simply says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is a huge topic. The topic of peacemakers, the topic of peace. Peace is mentioned some almost 400 times in Scripture. We will will barely um, give a surface understanding of what peace means and what it means to be a peacemaker. I would like to recommend a book to you. It's called The Peacemaker. It is the standard uh, for this subject by Ken Sandy. If you've not read this book, I would, I would recommend this book to you. It's, it's a book that I think is, is um, worth our time as, in a midweek study session and perhaps something that we will do uh, in, the, in the near future, the peacemaker. So that's just a uh, disclaimer that we're not going to answer every question that you want answered uh, today about being a peacemaker. This is just such a uh, huge um, topic, and Buzz took us through the meta-narrative or the big story of Scripture this morning, and, and really the whole story of Scripture is a story of peace. It begins in Genesis with, uh, peace with God, and, and Adam and Eve walk with God, and there was peace in a garden, a, a picture of peace. And that peace was uh, a perfect peace until lies and deception came into the garden, and that peace was broken. And from that point on, the, the story of Scripture becomes a, a story of restoring peace. And and God chose a people through Abraham who were to show the world what peace meant. And we see glimpses of that, but they failed to do that. And so God, God um, writes a covenant with Israel that there will be a king who will bring peace. And in the New Testament, the king of peace comes in Jesus Christ and he brings peace. And so now we have a peace with God. Though now partial peace we experience in the world, one day it will 
we will, there will be a consummation of peace and we will see God for who he is and we will have that perfect peace and we will go from the, the garden in the beginning to the garden in the end, a picture of peace. And the entire story of scripture is a, is a, is a story of peace. Peace is something we do not find in the world today. You don't have to look far. You can just look to Ukraine and Russia and see that there is war. There's international, um, international disturbances and conflict. You can just look at our governmental system and you see there is no peace. There is only a push to the far left, left, and a push to the far right. And there's no middle ground. There seems to be no peace. There's just hatred and, and discord wherever you look in the world. Unfortunately, there are times when there is no peace in the churches because even though we have been forgiven, we still sin. The world needs peacemakers. The church needs peacemakers. And so today, as we look at this one uh, beatitude, we want to consider three propositions that suggest this, that suggest that peacemakers do the messy, often futile work of creating concord out of discord simply because that is who we are. Peacemakers do the messy, often futile, futile work of creating concord out of discord, of creating peace out of conflict because that's who we are. And so we're going to look at three, three simple propositions. The first is that you are a harbinger of peace. You are a harbinger of peace. The second is peacemaking is not peaceful. And thirdly, peacemaking is not guaranteed. So let's begin looking at those three. You are a harbinger of peace. The verse simply says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Every believer is a peacemaker because they are sons of God. They are not sons of God because they are peacemakers. They are peacemakers because they are sons of God. So if you are a son or a daughter of God, you are a peacemaker. If you are a believer, you are a peacemaker. You have the spiritual DNA of a peacemaker why? Because you are a son or a daughter of God. It's not something you earn. You cannot earn being a son of God. You cannot be a peacemaker to earn the position of son of God. You are a peacemaker because God has made you a son or a daughter. So the question becomes, how are we dealing with that? How are we doing in our lives as peacemakers? Are we growing in our understanding of what it means to make peace? This is such an important topic. Why? Because as one wise person said, and that wise person was actually, is actually a member of, of Providence Church. I think I'm going to start calling this person the philosopher of Providence Church. I will not tell you who that is. But one wise person 
wrote this. The world lives for the day that the church implodes on itself. Let's not be accomplices. The world waits for the day for us to implode on ourselves. Let's not participate in doing that. Providence Church is a very unique church. But we are a church that I believe is, is currently under attack. There have been major things that have happened, but since those major things have happened, there have been minor issues of, of discord or, or things that could have caused discord. And I watched that, I watched that play out this week. And what I love is when, when God puts something in front of me that uh, I need to share with you, and I see it played out in that week, and I see that God is a peacemaker, and I see that we are peacemakers, and I see that that, that process of peace plays out right in front of my eyes. Satan is the person who is causing that war. Sin is the ultimate conflict causer of a lack of peace. Galatians chapter 5, and just turn with me there for a moment. Galatians chapter 5 helps us to understand that role of sin in, in the lack of peace that, that sometimes occurs in the church. Galatians chapter 5 is a well-known chapter of fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, um, in, when, we, when we get down to the section on the fruit of the Spirit, just before that, in verse 13, he says, For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is fulfilled and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Now I thought the law was you should love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. But Paul says the whole law is fulfilled in love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because what he's talking about is, is discord or concord, peace or conflict, not between me and God, but between me and you, or between you and someone else. And so he describes then after that the works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh are enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries and divisions and envy. And he says these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying the same thing. If you are not a peacemaker, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are things that cause strife and, and, and a lack of peace within the church. But then he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. When the fruit is absent in relationships, there is a moral failure in that relationship. There is sin in that relationship. Sin causes the lack of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all of the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. When that happens, we become peace breakers instead of peacemakers. And I believe in God's providence at, at, at this particular time, 
He has brought us to this beatitude out of the grace of his, of his being. That this is the grace of God in the life of Providence Church that we are talking today about peacemakers. The beatitude, this particular beatitude, doesn't tell us how to become a son of God. But it says that we are sons of God, and because we are sons of God, we are peacemakers. And it's interesting, there's a, a bit of a nuance here. He, he calls us sons of God. We could say sons and daughters of God. He doesn't use um, the particular word children of God here. We are children of God. Sons and daughters are children. Children are sons and daughters. But there's a, there's a bit of a, a, a nuance here that I think we could, could illustrate as um, if you have children and you take your children to uh, grandma and grandpa and they watch your kids so that you can go out on a date night or maybe for the weekend. And when you come home, grandpa says, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> or grandpa says, just like his father. Or grandpa says, like father, like son. You see, the, the, the meaning there is that the son reflects the father. And just as the father gave, or the son of the father, the grandfather, gave the grandfather some grief in his young age, the grandson is giving him the same grief. He reflects the character of the father. And as a son of God, we reflect the character of God. And when we make peace, when we are peacemakers, we are reflecting God, because God is a peacemaker. He is the God of peace. And so we are peacemakers. We are sons and daughters. We don't become a son of God by being a peacemaker. What becomes a peacemaker by being a son of God? How do you become a son of God? John 1.12 says, as many as received him, to them gave, he gave the right to become sons of God. Galatians 3, just a, a page back, verse 26 verse, says, for in Christ Jesus, you are sons of God through faith. That we become children of God, we become sons of God, daughters of God, when the Holy Spirit brings us to trust in Christ for salvation through faith. Ephesians chapter 1, we have the whole story of how God does this. In verse 3 it says in Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing the heavenly places, even as he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And he goes on in verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance. Who in obtains inheritance? Sons and daughters obtain an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We are sons of God by the grace of God. 
And the Beatitudes say the very same thing in Matthew, back to, to, to Matthew 5, that, that the gospel according to Jesus says the very same thing. The first, be, the first Beatitude, we are poor in spirit. We are bankrupt before God. There's nothing we can do. Nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. And we understand our bankruptcy, and we, we are poor in spirit, and we mourn over our sin, and that mourning brings us to, to repentance and faith. We see that God is working through that process. And we become meek. We understand our sinful nature, and, and we repent, and we mourn and before God over our sin, and we bow in meekness and submission to God. And he leads us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. How can we not want to obey a merciful God? And understanding that merciful, merciful God, we become merciful. And having understood the mercy and grace of God, we have, a, we have blinders on. We want to will one thing. We want to be pure in heart. And that pure in heart naturally leads us to being peacemakers. God is a peacemaker. He's made peace in our lives. He's a God of peace. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. 1 Corinthians 14, 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. When Jesus came to be born of a virgin, the angel said, peace on earth. Isaiah 9, 6 is a prophecy of Christ. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. Second Corinthians, or Ephesians 2, verse 14, he is our peace. He's our peace. He's made us one. He has broken down the wall of hostility. He is the true peacemaker. You can look around this room at the differences and see testimony to God breaking down the walls and creating peace. Amen. So how important is this? I was uh, reminded this week of something I had not really seen in my study. Turn with me to very briefly to Luke chapter 13 to see how important uh, this is. Luke chapter 13, verse 1 says, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I know I've read that many times, but I never really realized the, the injustice that was happening there when these Galileans were, were murdered as they were offering sacrifice. And I read that and I say, Jesus is going to 
He's, he's going to preach a sermon on, on injustice in this world. He's going to talk about those, uh, the rulers of Galilee, and, and he's going to talk all about that. And we read this, and he says, Were they not worse sinners, re, sinners? Repent, or you will perish at all. What is Jesus saying? Does he say, you don't need to fight about injustices in the world? You don't need to fight for justice in the world? I, do, I don't believe he's saying that. But I think what he is saying, he's saying that your soul is more important than any injustice that happens in the world. He doesn't talk about world peace. He doesn't talk about uh, denuclearization to get rid of all the nuclear bombs in the world to, to get rid of the, the rulers of, of Galilee. He doesn't talk about any of that, and I, I ask the question, why? And I believe it's because I, I look at the Beatitudes, and, and the next Beatitude is persecution. That you can be, if you are a peacemaker, you will face persecution. And what Jesus is saying is that you are living eternally. You will live eternally. And true peace is only found in Christ. That there will never be peace in the world. It doesn't mean we don't want justice. It doesn't mean we don't stand up for injustice. But what he's saying is if you don't have the Beatitudes in your life, you have the opposite, the opposite of the Beatitudes. If you are not... Uh, poor in spirit, you are proud. If you are proud, you are not in the kingdom of heaven. You will not inherit the earth. You will not receive mercy. If you don't receive mercy, you receive judgment. You will not see God. If you don't see God, you see hell. You will not be called sons of God. If you're not called sons of God, you're not in the family of God. You see, on the cross, Jesus made peace between God and man. Romans 5.1 says, since, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That is the only true peace in all of the world, and we preach the gospel of peace. Do you know that on October 24th, 1945, the United Nations was given birth, and in their founding documents, it says to save succeeding generations from the scourge of war. In other words, to make peace. Do you know since then, there have been almost 500 wars since that date? That's an average of, of a war every two months somewhere in the world. In the time of Jesus, the, Roman, the Romans were in, un, unjust, but they created something called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. It was a forced peace. To dissent from that peace was to die. One church historian said they are unique in being as violently tempted to attack the poor as the wealthy. 
At least they weren't prejudiced. Robbery, butchery, the liars called empire, they create desolation and call it peace. Christians are the only peacemakers in the world. God doesn't call politicians to be peacemakers, doesn't call the president to be peacemakers. He calls his sons and daughters to be peacemakers. All other peace is artificial, superficial, manipulative, coercive. The Romans brought peace with a sword. Christ brings peace through the cross. The Beatitudes tell us that changed people live changed lives. And if you are a believer, you are a peacemaker by the grace of God. You desire to make peace because you have peace with God. That is normal. That is how things are supposed to work. The God of peace brings new birth through the cross of Christ. He gives us the faith to believe. He gives us the spirit of peace. The spirit of peace produces the fruit of peace. If that has happened in our lives, we will be called the sons of God. Therefore, we have joy and we have hope. But the final salvation of our lives is judged by us being peacemakers. It is proof that we are peacemakers or we are not peacemakers. So this is serious stuff to be called a peacemaker. But making peace is not peaceful. Being a peacemaker is not a peaceful activity. To make peace implies there's not peace, implies there's conflict. You know, I would think peacemaking should be easy because we have the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit in us. We should be able to uh, just carry that along, it seems to me. But there's a problem because sin is the roadblock to peace. You know, if you're a father and you arrive home on Monday night exhausted from work and you want to do, you usually want to do one thing, get in your recliner and have some peace and quiet. Your wife, who may have been with the children all day, has not had that peace and quiet, and you come in and she says, okay, now they're yours. <laughs> and that happens all week. The kids just happen to have this, this bad week. And on Sunday morning, your wife goes to church early to have going to have breakfast with some of the ladies before church, and so you bring the kids to church, and the kids are saying, I'm in the front seat. Oh, no, you had the front seat. I'm in the front seat. You're in the back seat, and it explodes, and you just say, you in the front, you in the back. You adjust your mirror so you can glare at the one in the back. <laughs> Why? Why does that happen? James 4 gives us the answer to that. In James 4, 
verse, verse 1, we read these words, first three verses. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war with you? Your desires are at war with you? You desire, to, you desire and do not have, so you murder? You say, well, I never murder. Well, Christ is going to tell us what murder really is, and we get to the, that part of the Sermon on the Mount, that it is anger. It's calling your brother a fool. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, on your desires. It's a picture of what causes division. It's actually describing uh, the sixth beatitude of pure in heart because it's describing an idol. Instead of willing one thing, instead of willing the work of God or the program of God, I'm willing my desires. I desire. Conflict begins with uh, some kind of desire. Whether it's right or wrong, your kids may have been bad. And so something may have needed to happen. But that desire grows into a demand. That these unmet desires, there's no, I didn't get the peace and quiet I wanted, and this desire goes deep in our hearts to, I deserve this peace and quiet. We convince ourselves that we'll not be happy, we'll not be happy without this idol. And so those desires and that demand leads to a judgment. Not a, okay, let's look at the situation and figure this out, but a judgment of bitterness and resentment toward your children or toward your wife or your boss or your teacher or whoever it is. And it leads to punishment. And we punish with words of anger or physical violence or um, even withdrawal from relationships. Proverbs 17, 15 uh, I'll paraphrase this. It, it, it's simply that um, says that the, the rain that drips has something in common with the wife that is quarrelsome. A mother sets the tone in the house. And it's either God's going to sanctify her family through her or the opposite. But men do the same thing, don't we? Someone who's always critical, always unhappy. Usually the family gives in to the father's idols. Okay, dad, have it your way. And you create a, a superficial peace, which ends up being a splintered family. And we say, Jesus died for my peace. You know, in a conflict, most of us have a tendency either, we call it flight, fight or flight. I, I fly away. I am not a person who enjoys conflict. I, I know that about myself. I become a peacekeeper rather than a peacemaker. But peace and appeasement, they're not synonyms. However, those who fight um, also have issues. Fighting is also not the uh, answer. James 1.20 says, Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Proverbs 15.1, A gentle answer turns away wrath. 
D.A. Carson wrote this in, in, in his writing that a peacemaker, quote, will learn to lower his voice and smile more broadly in proportion to the intensity of the argument. I think that's what sometimes the fighters need to do. So if fight or flight is not the answer, how do we do this? Peacemaking is not peaceful, but it is us willingly stepping into the middle of warring parties, and we may be one of those warring parties, for the purpose of creating reconciliation and peace. George read that for us this morning, that we are called to the ministry of reconciliation inside the church and outside the church. Back in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives us an idea of what that looks like inside the church. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 43, it's a section talking about love your enemies. It says, have you, have you heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those, pray for those who persecute you so that you may be, here it is again, sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise in, on the evil and on the good and send rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brother, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? There are two things mentioned here that we do when there is conflict. One is that we pray for those who persecute us, and the other is that you greet your brother. If you only greet your brothers, the one you're, you're happy with, what more are you doing than others? You greet the one you're having a conflict with. So what does that mean? What do we pray for? Not, I, I, I hope not like the psalmist prays, God, uh, tear down my enemies, destroy my enemies. That's not the prayer. But he gives us a prayer in chapter 6. And he says in chapter 6, verse 9, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So we pray for them and we pray for ourselves as well. Hallowed be your name. May your name be hallowed. May your name be honored in my life and in this person's life. And may your kingdom come. May your kingdom rule in my heart and may your kingdom rule in their heart. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May I do your will as the angels do your will. And may this person do your will as the angels do your will. That is the prayer of peace, not just for them, but for me as well. But he also talks about greeting. You know, and when, when, when I have a conflict with someone and I see them coming down the hall, uh, I have a tendency to duck into the bathroom until they pass, and then I come back out. But he says, what more are you doing than others if it's only your brothers? Greet the one that you are having a problem with. Greet your enemy. When I duck into the bathroom, I'm really saying, really probably obeying what Satan says. Don't. 
greet your enemy. Don't greet the one you're having problem with. God killed Jesus to make peace with me. So Jesus is saying, don't let the flesh turn you away from greeting a brother, even though you're having a problem with him. Don't run from opportunities for peace. Not just to be polite, not just to greet to say, you know, I'm over it, I've, I've forgiven you, you don't know it, but I've forgiven you, I'm going to greet you. But greet them in, in transparency and in, in honesty and in hope, in hope that God will break through in that relationship and cause peace. What Jesus is saying is use all the ways of love to break down conflict. It's not easy. It's not peaceful. But it's what a peacemaker does. With unbelievers, uh, we read this morning, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 20, that we have, been given, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus came to bring peace. Now we have the privilege of, of being God's means of bring, bringing peace. We are the harbingers of peace. Not only between people, but between God and others. Once we have peace with God, we have a desire to bring peace into other relationships. Sharing God has sharing what God has done in my life and brought peace in my life. And when I understand that peace, I have this desire for reconciliation of others with God. And ours is that ministry of reconciliation, that God loves us enough to die for us and that he wants others to lay down their independence and trust Christ and have peace. If I don't share Christ... I'm not a peacemaker. Now that doesn't mean we all become Billy Graham-style evangelists. But it does mean that we're ready to give an account. To go into all the world. But if you're unwilling to share or plant a seed of the gospel or, or talk about the peace that God has created in your life, Jesus says that we will never reach the place of perfect peace. The church needs to be the sons of God. We need to, to be that and sons and, and daughters of God in the way that we live, in the way that we act, and in our priorities. You may be, you probably heard the saying, you may be the only Bible someone will ever read. Well, you may be the only true peacemaker someone will ever know. You have the words of peace. You have the gospel of peace given by the God of peace. We need to speak about that peace to those who have no peace. One caveat to that. We don't seek peace at the expense of truth. We don't speak a cheap peace um, or cheap evangelism. John Stott says, namely, the proclamation of the gospel without the cost of discipleship, the demand for faith without repentance. These shortcuts are forbidden to us. Jesus preached no cheap peace. 
one after another in the Beatitudes, he destroys, he destroys the teaching that all you have to do is say a prayer when you're six years old and you can live like the devil for the rest of your life. That is not the peace that we seek for people. That is a false peace. Peace with God comes at a cost. It's not the absence of conflict or, or pain, but when someone knows peace with God, that peace is the power and the presence of Christ in the middle of the struggle. That is the message of the gospel of peace. And finally, uh, making peace is not guaranteed. Romans 12, verse 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The implication of that is that it may not be possible. Attempts at peace might fail. What he's saying is don't let that be your fault. Peace may not happen, but when it does, the kingdom grows. When it does, you have given that, pers that person the greatest gift that you could ever give them. Sometimes they'll not find it, but they'll find it nowhere else. And Jesus says, you will be called the son of God. But righteousness trumps peace. Jesus says he didn't come to bring peace. And you think, well, we've talked about peace. And Jesus says he didn't come to make peace. He says there will be war in families because there will be some who, who hate righteousness. So what do we do? We love, we strive, we sacrifice for peace but we do not compromise righteousness. James 3, and we'll close with this verse. James 3, verse 17 says, but wisdom is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Same order as the Beatitudes, by the way. Gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called sons of God. If you're a son of God, you are a peacemaker. You're called to the ministry of reconciliation, of making peace, of giving the gospel both inside and outside of the church. It will not always create peace, but a peacemaker speaks truth in love. And those who hate the truth will not find peace. But when they find peace, they have received a gift that they will find another way. Are you a son of God? Do you know the peace in your life, the peace of God? Do you know the God of peace? who sent the Prince of Peace to preach the gospel of peace. True peace is available to all who believe. And if you are a peacemaker, are you consciously aware that being a peacemaker is part of your DNA? It's part of who you are. Will you be called a son, a daughter of God? 
you know, this promise will be fully fulfilled in eternity. John writes in Revelation 21, verse 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. When that day comes, we will know peace the way God meant for us to know peace. But in the meantime, remember the words of the philosopher of providence. The world lives for the day that the church implodes on itself. Let's not be accomplices. Let's pray together. <laughs>